Welcome to another episode, Middle Ground with JLE, LLC, where we treat you like family. Got another great guest for you. Got a fellow Wayne State University alum and mentor, Vice President of Student Affairs at Adams State University, Henry L. Robinson, PhD. How you doing, sir? I am doing well. I am doing well. Um, you know, I think it's, it's it's good for us to connect, you know, once again. And, and Absolutely. pleasure to be talking with you, man. Uh, hey, you helped me get through college, brother. A lot of them great conversations. Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> right. You were always very, very thoughtful and, and, and very much a guy that was on the cutting edge of uh, current events, you know, politics, sports, um, history, philosophy. You are, you are always there. I try so, to keep up. <laughs> you gave me a lot to think about during those years. Okay. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, first question be what led you on this path? I think for me, um, starting out in higher education, it really was all about kind of like giving back and and doing for other people what folks had done for me. I think that really was the major um, emphasis, you know, the major reason why um, I decided to have a career in higher education and more importantly, student affairs. Because, um, like I say, people uh, in some ways I say they raised me, you okay. know, because um, I didn't grow up with a lot of money and didn't have a lot of uh, contacts and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, people took me under their wing and, and they was like, look, man, you got a lot of potential, but these are some things that you have to do and need to do if you want to move forward and you want to be successful in, um, in higher ed. So I just I just learned what I could. And okay. tried to share the rest. <laughs> okay, because so I remember at Wayne, you was head of a trio, and now you're left, and you're the vice president of student affairs at Adams State University. So what does the man in your position responsibilities pertain? Well, um, you know, I have to share with you that actually I've decided to leave Adams State. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I left on June 30th. That was my last day there at the okay. university. And in many ways, I am very glad that I had the experience, mm -hmm. but I found that the environment really wasn't one that was well suited for me. Okay. You know, and um, they had a lot of issues and a lot of challenges. Primarily, I, I would call it being in the middle of a civil war to a certain uh -huh. extent. You know, so when you when you walk oh, in those situations, <laughs> when you have one part of the university that's really fighting against the other part of the university and you're in the middle, so to speak, trying to do the best you can for the students who really don't have yeah. any stake in it. You know, they don't even know what's going on. They're trying to get the green leaf. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, man, instead of um, arguing and fighting with them folk and, and trying to get them to move forward in ways that were progressive, um, which they were resistant to oh, wow. in a lot of ways, um, to their detriment, I'm like, you know what? God say, walk away. I got this. <laughs> I got this. And yeah. I got you. So that's true. That's true. Every everything works out for the good. And so right now I'm just relaxing. I'm spending <laughs> time with my wife. I'm enjoying my wife and my family. Okay. And um, just looking at, you know, future directions. But you yeah. know, the time that I spent there, I met a lot of good people. There are a lot of good people there, and some of them whom I miss. Um, they were really committed to students and really committed to the university, but um, there were other folks there that just wanted things to remain in 1998. Oh, <laughs> and then they behaved that way. I was so, two years uh, out of high school back then. <laughs> no, gas was cheap under Clinton, though. Ooh, we under a dollar, that was awesome. Ooh. So I, I had to let them go, man. I was like, hey, you need to walk away from this. Wow. Walk away with your head held high. Um, with a good transition plan and now they're following it it's like okay you didn't pay attention when i was there but now that i'm leaving <laughs> you see the value of, of what i left you so um it's been cool oh, you know, to be home. 98 wow, so, wow. So I, had, I had to take you back a minute didn't i <laughs> 98 i was still going to legends college night <laughs> <laughs> oh man that was, that was a crazy time back then. Yeah. Downtown yeah. didn't have all the stuff it has now. 
Wow. Mm-hmm. Do you so think that's a thing with some colleges not willing to move into the future with programs and stuff? Well, I think the the pandemic has changed a lot of things. Okay. And and people who had power, like primarily members of the faculty who really want to run the institution, mm-hmm. but don't really understand all of the things that go into it. Okay. You know, um, so, so they want to make decisions that benefit them uh-huh. as opposed to benefiting the students. So, you know, so students get disadvantaged or if the institution takes a step backward, it's okay as long as they feel that things are okay for them. And, and that's pretty much how they operated, you know. And so um, during my time there, I challenged them on some things. I challenged yeah. them how they treated students, um, particularly in regard to um, COVID. Okay. You know, because we had mask policies. We had um, other policies where essentially we were, we were essentially saying to students, you know, to um, take care of the community, we're all going to mask up, right? And we were encouraging students to get the vaccine, things of that nature. Um, but there were some members of the faculty that thought that, um, you know, because I was also, I was in charge of a lot of things, like I ran essentially half the university, but I was also in charge of student discipline. Mm. And so, you know, they were coming to me like, well, you ought to be um, using the code of student conduct to discipline these students and, and, and to essentially treat them like children. And um, my position was, and I I wrote an open letter to the faculty, essentially challenging them and saying, hey, these are, they're grown. They're not children. And if you approach them in a way that is respectful, nine times out of 10, they'll pull up their mask, they'll pay attention to you, Mm -hmm. and they'll do what it is that you've asked them to do with not not, not an issue. But they were approaching students like, I'm Dr. So-and-so, and you better pull your mask up. Oh, no. And, and I, had to, I had to let them know. I said, look, oh, no. this, this is 2021. A lot of these students have been um, in the streets with George Floyd protests. Mm-hmm. So their relationship to authority is not the same relationship that people had to authority in the 1980s. Right. No, I don't that stone cold, man. <laughs> you know, where 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 you can walk up on somebody if you're an elder and 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 ask them to do something and uh, and they would comply simply because of your status. True, true. And I told them, I said, these these young folk, they have a very different relationship with authority. Mm-hmm. They they essentially want to be regarded and respected. And you have to have some sort some form of relationship with them before you ask them to do something as personal as cover their face. Yeah. And if y'all just coming at them like, you know, I'm Dr. So-and-so, and many times they didn't even introduce themselves. Oh, they were wow. just like, pull up your mask. And these kids, I mean, well, I can't call them kids, but these students were like, you can kiss my black behind and <laughs> I don't know who you are. You're a stranger to me. Oh, man. Wow. So, so no, they're not going to just back away. And then they were also approaching them in front of their friends and trying to pump them down. Oh, man. Yeah, that, you know, makes it, that makes it worse now. Pride on the line. I told them, I said, these students would rather go to jail than have you embarrass them in front of their friends. Because somebody got the phone on going live, like, oh, man, this is going on right now. Now the whole Ooh. world watching. They, they can't. You know, they were in, up in arms talking about, well, you know, you're the vice president for student affairs and you should be using the code of student conduct to control these students and to do what we want. And I'm like, you have to treat them with respect. Yeah. They'll do what you want and you won't get this war because right now you've asked, I mean, you, you've received the war that you've asked for by not treating them as adults, by not treating yeah. them respectfully. So, no, they were not happy with me, <laughs> you know, and it, it was an open letter to the faculty Senate because I'm like, y'all, they are the leaders of the faculty uh-huh. and, and you, your, 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 your team aren't treating students respectfully. And then when the students cuss you out, you want me to punish them. Mm. No, I'm not doing that. 
Yeah, I, I remember many days pulling your trash or cleaning your department. Like this dude got the oh button up for real bow tie look clean cut. And I hear the woo like, is he playing Matthew? That's the woo time. Okay, he a little gangster. <laughs> he a little gangster. <laughs> All right, no, you wasn't. You wasn't having none of that bull jab over there. Like, no. Nah. You know, so like I say, man, I just like later, later for y'all. Y'all can, y'all can have it. That's unfortunate. It was on that. But you know, but I think it's it's part and parcel of how things have changed with the pandemic. And and my approach was pretty much we need to be prepared to serve the post-pandemic student. Not the student that was here 20 years ago, yeah. not the students that you thought yes. you wanted to serve. You know, they're not here. <laughs> the yeah, students that are the here world now, man. Are, are the ones that we need to be about serving. We need to learn from them. We need to find out what they want, how they want to be treated, and then move accordingly, because it's not going to hurt us to have better relationships. No. Nah. Now, some of you might be okay. on high horse, but that's not going to hurt you either. No, nah, because I mean, I remember when we was in the eye of the store and I was finishing my degree in 2020. Like, we got, we're going to get through it. This ain't revelation. Reg, worry. We ain't there yet. Calm down. But it's going to be a new normal that we got to get prepared for. Mm -hmm. It ain't going back to how it was. Like, before, right. it like, you got to stay in the building and work. Like, now, no, you can do the Jetsons. You can work from home and be on the screen talking to somebody. We can do that now. It's okay. You should probably saving some money, but you like the gas bill, you know. So a lot of things that you used to hear, like, you can't do that. Like, it was a reset, so you had to figure something out, and you can do it. Right. Like, I found out Wayne State had the technology, big blue conference, something to do the video conferencing already. Like, I didn't know that. But they weren't using it. So, like, this stuff was around. It was like, we don't have to use that. We're good. Like, oh, wow. We got to figure it out now. And we scrambled mm -hmm. in a week or two back then. We were online. And every week, we used to have a check-in. Like, how y'all feeling? Some people were very, like, man, I don't know. Someone I know past. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, look here. I don't care if the world ended. We getting this down to plumb. We come. We work too hard. Come too far. The whole planet could be burning up. We need that degree first. Then you can burn this thing into the ground. But we need to get that piece of paper. It's too much work we put in. Mm -mm. We gotta mm -hmm. get. There. We all kind of got on that valve. Like you're right. Like it's too much work, man. Mm -hmm. I don't care about the pandemic. I'm, I see it right there. I can touch it. I'm getting about this boy. <laughs> Ain't trying to do this forever. And now it's a new world where. That student is very different now going to college. Mm -hmm. They are the very different. different. And you got to talk to them with respect. You can't just, oh, well, we're authority. Mm -mm. And, and that's not just authority. Yeah, <laughs> I describe it as, you know, it's, it's a relationship, right? It's a relationship with authority. It's a relationship with elders that call upon the elders to not just rely on um, position, mm -hmm. not rely on degrees. Yeah. And, and, and not rely on status. I mean, like I said, the, them days are done. Yeah. Yeah, I see a lot of people back in Wayne with had a nose up in the air. I have two PhDs. Some people I know would feel bad like, dude, if you put the same work in, you get one or two. Well, they just started before you did. So it don't mean nothing. Don't make you. Unless you got a Captain America serum or something. Okay, that's different. But. Bachelor's, master's, doctorate, anybody can get one you put the work in. True. That's true. It ain't hard. You just got to put the work in. You'll get one. <laughs> That's right. You know. So yeah. did you deal with that student affairs at Wayne as well when you was there? I think Wayne was a little different in terms of student affairs where when I, when I look at Wayne mm -hmm. and I look at the, the racial politics of our region, Okay. You, you kind of see them played out. Okay. You kind of see them played out. Um, you know, so the history of, you know, the rebellion in 67 or 68, the um, changes in, in how the city was run, mm -hmm. all of that plays out in, in, in the university. And I would say within the major institutions in the city of Detroit. Yeah. 
I would agree. You know, and I think that some people, well, many people from, from what, I, what I've seen, um, or my observation, is that they look at it as a majority African-American city, which it is, but the, the, the power still rests within the same institutions that were in power in the 50s. So that hasn't changed. No. Nah. No, it hasn't. <laughs> nah. And, you know, some people say, well, I mean, we have a lot of social conversations at um, Rand's house for the county lab about stuff like, well, you, we had a black president. We're different. Like, and how many times did governors and people of stature disrespect that president? So what does that mean? Right. But Jeff, like, Remember the Arizona governor lady waving her finger in his face, which is so disrespectful. And then nobody say, how dare she do that? So I'm like, well, she had a point. Respect the officer president. Don't matter who's in there. Mm -hmm. that's, that's always been a law of the land until he got in there. So just because we have made some strides, don't it ain't all the way gone. Some people are stuck on color, even though we all bleed red. True. It's crazy. <laughs> And, and that not. person in light might help you while you're tripping. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so get off that and just do the Bible study. Love your neighbors thyself. What you should do. Well, a lot of us don't. And it's crazy. Well, you know, some of it's um, rooted in power. Some of it's rooted in money. Um, sometimes it's rooted in psychology. And, yeah. and it's just the psychology of some folk thinking that they're better than other folks. And that's kind of how they're wired, you know. Um, so they can look down on the next person that gives them some sort of um, feeling of uh, superiority or sense of satisfaction or, or other things that really in the real world don't matter because like you said, we all put our pants on one leg at a time, most of us. And, um, you know, we all bleed red and we all, you know, breathe oxygen, so. Yeah, I, I can say after going through the college experience, it definitely broadens your mind and viewpoint of world events and cultures you might not have known. Because without college, you might not walk up to a different culture and say, how you doing? My name is so-and-so. Can't tell me about your culture. I'm just curious. You might not feel comfortable or you're looking at stereotypes. Mm -hmm. I can say Wayne State made sure you had a group project. It's going to be diverse. You're going to have to talk to each other. Right. And you learn something. And I think that's valuable in and of itself, you know, um, just seeing how um, different groups of people view the world, mm -hmm. how different groups of people can look at the same problem, but see it in multiple ways from their cultural perspective. And, and that's how I think you get the best out of um, any group of people, you know. Um, so, um, you know, I look at what they call diversity you know, what I've seen on most college campuses is what they call representational diversity, meaning okay. um, the, the nice phrase is we got a few. Okay. Or we got that one. Look over there. We're diverse. We got one. Um, and it went from diversity or the paradigm went from representational diversity to what they call what they're trying to do now, which is equity. Mm where, okay, so now that we got so-called a few, we were still treating them different, but they're still a part of us as long as they do what we want. So then that's kind of, they said, okay, well, let's see what we can do about equity so everyone's treated the same. Now mm -hmm. the new wave is inclusiveness. Okay. Because you could still be in a majority group of people being a, um, a person of color and the representational diversity was there for the show. Now it's like they're trying to move towards being more, treat you like everybody else. The third part, inclusiveness, is supposedly there are no barriers between you and I, and we're all treated. We, we include you now. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of studies have come out, uh, and particularly of African-American students in suburban schools. Mm -hmm. And um, the data was speaking to how even African-American students that are supposedly in a better educational situation 
um, are not treated the same as as white students in many instances in the same buildings. Yeah, so they, they have higher rates of suspension, lower grades are not referred to gifted and talented programs as much as white students, even though they may have similar academic um, ability, which spoke to that lack of um, equity, even though you had diversity. So diversity was there, but the, the two groups of students weren't treated the same. Yeah, I know some that experienced that growing up. And just many people at Wayne that came from suburbs here that you could tell you, you ain't really welcome, but we'll tolerate you. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow. Like, yeah. You can tell. No matter where we was at, but you knew y'all cool, but we really don't want you here. Like, oh. Okay. That got to suck. <laughs> oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. And, and so the whole inclusiveness, inclusiveness um, perspective is all about bringing in not only the the, the person of color into the environment and into the group, but also valuing, you know, that person's ideas, their perspectives, um, their presence. That's what inclusiveness entails. It's accepting all of who they are, not just the part that you want. True. Now with student affairs, what is the, the main role they serve to aid the student in college? Primarily what student affairs does is that it helps the student with things outside of the classroom. Um, my perspective, um, and being in the business for over 30 years, mm -hmm. is that student affairs is just as valuable an educational experience as a student would get in the classroom. Okay. Now, faculty would, many faculty would disagree with that. You know, they want student affairs to be two or three rungs down. And the reason a student comes to the university is to um, take academic courses. And to a certain extent, that's true. But in student affairs, we help that student find him or herself. Mm -hmm. We help that student manage his or her money. <laughs> we, we help that student, if they have a psychological issue, get therapy and, um, and emotional support. We help that student, we help guide that student through the university's curriculum, you know, because there are a lot of classes that make up a degree program, but unless you're taking the right classes at the right time, mm. then you end up wasting thousands of dollars and a whole lot of time. And so yeah. student affairs in many ways also becomes that place where students find out who they are, you know, what types of careers they want to pursue. Um, so it's more than just, and of course we house people in student affairs, we feed people in student affairs, we protect people in student affairs. Um, one of my responsibilities as the vice president for student affairs was university police. Okay. You know, they reported to me, the chief, and um, we had a very strong relationship. Um, and so, you know, we were dealing at that particular university with with folks that and I'd hate to say it, you know, but they were engaged in uh, various forms of criminal behavior. <laughs> um, and, and I'll put it like that. Um, some of them longstanding. Wow. And, and when I got there, I had to um, kind of tighten a lot of people up. Like, why are y'all tolerating this? I don't understand why this person yeah. is a student here. Um, so, you know, that was, that was also some of the challenges that, that I faced when I was there. Um, but still, Student affairs help students to achieve the, their best self within the classroom and outside of the classroom in ways that the faculty generally don't value. Yeah, because life still happens even before or after class. Oh, for sure. I want to help you deal with it. For sure. And, you know, some of I think the most difficult conversations that I had to have were with the parents of students that had attempted suicide because um, i was also in charge of the counseling center mm -hmm. and um you know getting the the right types of support in collaboration with um with our local um hospital all mm -hmm. of that stuff so you know we were responsible for working with you know those students that were harming themselves in some form or another or threatened threatening to harm themselves a few had tried and, um, you know, we had to, of course, have them isolated 
Mm-hmm. We were managing COVID during that time. So we were focusing on students that had contracted COVID, um, not only quarantining them for certain periods of time, which means they couldn't go anywhere. We had a special residence hall reserved for those students. So that, you know, they couldn't leave their residence hall for any reason while they were under quarantine for five to seven days. Um, so we had to feed them as well. So we were bringing meals to their rooms, mm-hmm. um, you know, checking up on them, making sure they had medication, all of those things. And that's the invisible work of student affairs that many people didn't really um, understand. They were just concerned about how many cases of COVID we had on campus and, um, you know, casting blame because we actually had COVID on our campus. Like it wasn't in the rest of society as well, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and it was, it was, it was a division of student affairs fault that we even had COVID on the campus. Um, That's how many, many people, um, that, that was their attitude. So, you know, like I said, we were doing all of that, that type of work. I think we had three or four cases at a minimum that I can remember where students had attempted to uh, kill themselves. And um, for a variety of reasons, you know, you you never really can understand how much pain a person may be going through before they uh, attempt something like that. True. But having conversations with those parents um, of the students that had attempted to kill themselves, those were very difficult. Um, That, and then of course, the other side of the coin was parents whose students were charged with any any manner of criminal behavior. And, um, you know, you have the parents, oh, my child's an angel, he didn't do anything. And (laughs) the police report says otherwise, and and our our, our video cameras say otherwise as well. So... (laughs) Mm -hmm. You knew before they came here they had certain tendencies you ain't look... I don't see it. Like, come on, man. Yeah. And, you know, and then you had other folks that were just drinking themselves into, like, stupors, you know, um, passing out, et cetera. So, I mean, that's part and parcel of it. And and we had, you know, a lot of athletic teams. And with the athletic teams, you have folks that get concussions from time to time. And and dealing with uh, taking care of those students that had concussions relative to their treatment but also ensuring that they still had access to academic you know, materials and if they couldn't go to class because of their symptoms, um, what they needed to learn and how they needed to learn to manage their situation until they could, um, be f- until they could fully recover. Yeah, I see. Yeah, so it, it, it was more than a notion. Yeah, student affairs is very vital to a school. I didn't realize all they do. Shout out oh, yeah. to all of them across the country. Man, that's a lot, brother. <laughs> it, it is a lot. <laughs> man, good thing he had no 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 shot of Jack got to solve no situations like woo wee. It's a lot. And that could have been just one day. Well, sometimes it was it was it was one day. You know, you, you get somebody. <laughs> you know, they got in a fight on campus after after the party let out. You had another student that tried to harm themselves. You had. Um, you know, other people who weren't coming to work, you have you had to manage the COVID situation. So we just, you know, we did what we needed to do. But yeah, student affairs is much more than, um, you know, babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> now, from this experience, what would you say the impact that you saw by you being in that position and helping the students? I think... Maybe the most satisfying elements of my work were those that um, occurred with student government. Okay. Because I was advisor to the Student Government um, Association. And so in working with the the president and the officers of the Student Government Association, um, it was really gratifying to see how they learned and how they grew. Because the campus, the year before I got there, they went totally remote. And Mm -hmm. most people moved off campus, right? They went back home. And so when I arrived, they were just beginning to reinvigorate um, or to restart all of the student organizations and student government because everyone came back to campus. Okay. The residence halls were full. Um, and so the clubs and organizations were doing their thing. But the mm-hmm. new student government president was like, I don't have any materials because the last president took everything 
and wow. I the policies and procedures. So that was a difficult start for us. Wow. But by the end of the year, they had the officers had grown so much, and you know um, that was that was really. And I'm still very close to many of those students that were the officers in the student government um, and the student senate. So that was a really that was a, a very good positive. Um, I think a lot of the other students that I met on campus that I just had a chance to interact with, um, just like going to the gym and working out and um, seeing them in different, like, you know, um, plays and concerts and things like that, or just talking to them on campus. Okay. You know, because um, I met a lot of the athletes and, and had a chance to talk to um, a number of the, the football players. I uh, addressed them when I first arrived. And um, the diversity in that area of southwestern Colorado, um, where I was, was, you know, predominantly, you know, European American, Hispanic American, Native American. Oh, okay. It's also, from a cultural perspective. That's different. Uh, very different from Detroit, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the football players and, and people on the track team were, were African American men. And, and, and many were Polynesian men, you know, which you really never, you know, they were like Samoans, right? Oh, yeah, I ain't, yeah, you don't, I don't know if Wayne ever had something, no. Well, they did, I, I can't call it counter none of them. And, 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 you know, and so, and so when, you, when you're talking with um, the young men about life, about, um, okay, you're in college, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And, their thing is, well, I'm sorry, Dr. Robinson, but I'm, I'm just getting ready to go to the league, you know. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. And, and, and that was their point of view. It's like, yeah, I'm in college, but I'm here to go to the league. And I'm like, I got you. I got you, dog. I understand that. But understand that even if you make it to the league, you're probably going to end up play playing at the most three to five years. And so what are you going to do after that? Mm -hmm. And even if you make a lot of money initially, that money has to last you the next 50 or so years, because right now you're in your 20s. Mm -hmm. So how will you be able to navigate life and manage life without the lessons that you're learning in college? Good point. And so I, I used to talk to them a, a lot about that, you know, and, and the brothers, they would come talk to me about, well, you know, I'm trying to find a good woman, a good spouse, a good whatever, you know, I'm like, okay, let me, let me help you out, <laughs> you know? So I had a lot of discussions with the young men about um, being the best man they could be and then preparing themselves for um, being what they said they wanted to be in the future. In many cases, you know, the guys would say, you know, um, I want to be a husband, I want to be a father, I want to be, you know, the leader of my home, things of that nature. And I would let them know, I said, this is one step in, in preparation for that. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it's just managing that in such a way that you understand that even though you, you want to go to the league, and I'm not here to discourage you, but that's only a small slice of your life. And those other things are going to last much longer. So that, you know, so they have things and put things in perspective. Yeah, talks we used to have used to have me look at. Okay, you're going to get your degree. Then what you going to do with yourself? Like, no, I ain't stopping. I even thought about that part. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you want to have a business of some sort? What type of business? Like, dang, we had we had to write it down and. Daily operations of getting to Z. I'm just looking at. I'm be balling doing this. I'm like I ain't thought that far. Like, dang, that's some stuff he dropped on. We got to sit down and start thinking about this. Yeah, and, and you know the other piece of it. Sometimes I think is that, and you know some of it's how we how we've been raised, right? You mm -hmm. figure, okay, I'm gonna get the money first, then I figure out the rest later. <laughs> Hey, I figure I'm the number one draft pick. Got my degree through a pandemic. What a job, at, baby. What? <laughs> so, you know, um, man, <laughs> my thinking was always, 
if, if you're thinking of and answering these other questions along the way, then you know what to do with the money once you have it. And you'll be able to manage it in such a way that it serves your family now and generations into the future. You know, so it's so it's, it's more than just I'm here for the moment um, and I'm going to get paid. And next thing you know, everything will fall into place because we all know that life isn't like that. Man, you ain't lying. <laughs> you don't, you have a dream and boop, what's plan B? Mm-hmm. Hey, think about that. Well, you better start figuring out now because take that off the table. <laughs> oh, for sure. You know, and then so, you know, that kind of brings me to the next, I guess, the next chapter of my particular life where um, I'm in a space now where it's like, wow, I have the freedom to decide if I want to go back into higher education okay, or if I want to go corporate, um, do nonprofit work and or philanthropy. So I have all these options before me now, whereas before I was so deep into higher education that. I hadn't really looked outside of it, mm-hmm. and 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 I am I am blessed in that I have a wonderful wife, my queen. Um, we've been together twenty eight years. You oh, know, we've been right. married twenty eight years, man. And so you know, she said, all, "All right," she said, "Henry, you wanna you wanna let him go?" I said, "Baby, I think I wanna let him go." And she was like, "Well, you can come home and be a kept man." I was okay. like, "Cool." <laughs> <laughs> Who, you know, and she was like, you know, until you decide which direction you want to move in next, you know. So I got a strong queen, you know, she got my back. I've had her back all these years, and we just partners, we serve one another in our marriage, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So I'm in a space where I am really blessed. I don't, you know, it how do I say it? It would be great to have a job right now, but in some ways, I'm kind of like, I don't have to. That's a great position to be in. It is. It is. <laughs> it is. Now, sooner or later, I'm going to get tired of not doing something. <laughs> I know that. You know, because I, I know my, my engine's always running, but uh, it's going to be you, time to up again soon. Where you leaning so far towards? I think I'm more or less looking towards the nonprofit sector. Okay. Because um, I want to be in some ways in a position where I can influence what happens in higher education without necessarily being on a campus. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, you, there are several organizations that give money to higher education to have successful outcomes for students, but, you know, you know, as we talked before, there are many people on college campuses who are only looking out for themselves and they're not looking out for the best interest of students. They'll throw students up front and say, oh, we're doing this for the benefit of the students. But when we look at their results, you find the opposite mm. because their results don't speak to what's best for students. And then when you ask the students what they want and need, mm-hmm. they're like, well, the system in some ways is working against us. Hmm. And so I'm kind of like, I, I would like to be in a space where we can control funding streams and say, okay, institutions of higher ed, unless you begin to do really what's in the best interest of students and your numbers, your data, your outcomes, your results, show that, then we're not going to give you money. And we're going to reward those schools that are doing the best thing for students because their results tell us the truth. So it's not what you say you're doing, it's what your numbers say. And and the lives of the students are are those lives that are positively impacted in ways that we can measure it. And it's not just a song and dance or or a dog and pony show, it's what does the data say? I can see you doing that. You know, so to really affect change to do the right thing for the student. Yep, to do the right thing. See, we're doing it. They gone. Woo, get that check of cash. Like, no, no, no. Bring the analytics cats up in here. Show me. The, nah, that it. We projected this and mm, it don't fit. You lying. Nope. 
Yeah. Okay. So, so it's all about analyzing the data and, and looking at what students are calling for. And I'm not saying that you give a student everything he or she wants. No. You know, um, there has to be a check and a balance. And the student's responsible for his or her education. And, you know, so nobody's denying that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but I think to the extent that you have schools, and, and I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked at a school that had um, a program, an honors program, and they, they would have like, um, on Saturdays, they would bring the students and parents together. Okay. And they would evaluate them for scholarships, right? Mm-hmm. But they would say to the student, your parents must be present. Hmm. So that's cool if you're a suburban student and your parents only work Monday through Friday and they can take off Saturday and they can come down to the university with you and sit in all day on these these meetings and orientations and interviews. That's great. But if my mama work as a cashier or a waitress and she got to work Saturdays as as a low-income student, that that takes me out of the running. So they were giving all of this money and all these opportunities to students that already had money and opportunities. Yeah. And the low-income student was ineligible because their parent had to work on the weekend. Yeah, that needed to be more balanced out. Yeah, so, so you see those are some of those hidden structural inequities Mm-hmm. that you have when people talk about opportunity or the lack thereof. And, and, and when I mentioned it to them, they couldn't even see it. They were like, well, what do you mean? We think it's a, it's a wonderful thing to require the parents to be here. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, it is a wonderful thing, but it's not the best thing if you really want to meet the needs of the students that you claim you want to serve. Mm-hmm. So you have to take their life circumstances into account. You just can't assume that everybody is an upper middle class parent that doesn't work on Saturday. Yep, or got two jobs working. Yep. (laughs) And it's sad when people think like that. Like that's not the real world. That's where you come from. Everybody's story ain't that. Exactly. Exactly. So it's in many ways it's challenging them to broaden their perspectives and broaden their horizons about what excellence means and who qualifies for the rewards of excellence. Yeah, make it fair, let them put the work in. Mm-hmm. Technology, you can, I don't know if it'll work, but I mean, you can do a Zoom with them so the parent can, can still be there with them and have the same opportunity compared to they physically have to be in your office, for example. They can't do it, they work. Right. We can make some accommodations, we got the technology. Oh, for sure. And, and I think that's what COVID, COVID's kind of leveled a lot of that. You know, so COVID has taken us out of the um, in-person, face-to-face interactions and, and really put it in a space, like you said, where um, it's 24 seven, it's, it's immediate. Um, it has its advantages. I think too much of it is a disadvantage, though. Yeah. And maybe I'm just old school in that respect, you know, because um, I've seen the other side of technology, and I'm sure you have as well, where everything is digital and, and no one can connect to it emotionally. Yeah. They went from texting to. Say that again. Video conference. We went from texting to now video conferencing that's big in our culture now. Mm-hmm. Like you talked about on the phone, like, what you mean? Like, okay, you don't want to hear a girl voice? <laughs> like, dude, like, hold on. And these conversations in the county lab and ran. So I'm like, you met this beautiful woman on campus and you want to sit up and do that the whole night? You don't want to say, hey, how you doing, beautiful? What's your name? What's going on? You don't want to hear her say something back? Like, come on, bro. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and and I think one of the things I've noticed with young people, and I hate to put it, maybe I shouldn't say young people, um, is the idea that there is a communications gap. And when you talk with many face-to-face, 
they're not really strong in terms of their communication skills because they're used to texting one another. Yeah. And so when you ask them, even when you ask them a question, they tend not to think in terms of um, a deep philosophical answer. It's yes, no, or I haven't thought about it that deeply, or I can't answer it right now because I, you know, I, I just haven't given it that much thought. And I'm like, wow, this is kind of interesting in that it's very important. And no, you can't answer it in a text. You can't answer it in 160 characters like Twitter. You know, yeah. I, before COVID hit, they, the Mike Illich School of Biz started mandating you had to do like an exit reflection paper. And I me, mean, I'm like, Mark, yeah, I want to know what's going on. So I'm asking, fast, I know, okay, why are we doing this? I'm in a county, man. What do I need to do a paper for? I thought I was retired from the game. Well, we get feedback from our students, they get jobs, and they're not on par with the writing for professional emails or paperwork of that sort because they're so used to shorthand text. I'm like, oh. And then, then I stopped, like, well, every time you walk camera, Joe, what do you see? Like, yeah, yeah, I guess that would probably trickle down to the, how you speak and type. It's always AOL or whatever shorthand compared to a complete thought typed mm -hmm. out. Like, oh, interesting. And one of the things that I always share with students is that being able to write well is critically important because your writing speaks for you when you're not in the room. That's true. You know, so we would get students that would write scholarship essays, for instance. And it's like, at some point you'd be asking like, why do you want this money? Or you haven't written enough to convince us to give you this money. Mm -hmm. And you shake your head like, okay, this this paragraph you wrote is like three lines. But you want us to give you $10,000. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. You got to dig a little deeper than that. <laughs> yeah, you got to be a little bit deeper, you know, in terms of your background and experiences and, and, and why you're interested in earning this scholarship. You know, what are you going to do with your life that this money is going to um, assist you I mean, reaching your goals and, and how is it going to help you? You know, so, I mean, that's the other side of it. The other thing I think with the technology and COVID, and I know that it, it was something that the, the nation had to do, um, is that for a while I was director of admissions at my last institution because we had um, a lot of turnover, right? So I ended up um, serving as director of admissions. So I'm, I'm reviewing transcripts for students that wanted to enter the university. Mm -hmm. And you could see like during the first two years, 2018, 2019, they had really strong grades, right? When they were in person going to okay. school. 2020, 21, Ds, Es, Fs. Mm. I was like, wow, like this kid has fallen off of a cliff, <laughs> right? In terms of their academic performance. And, and it coincided with, you know, K-12 instruction going online. They spoke about that in Michigan, how some kids can't be self-disciplined to just keep grinding without the teacher. Hey, get to it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, they can play a video game and beat it. It's something like school, but I guess it's very different connect. I'm like, wow. Well, you know, the, the video games are entertainment. Right. <laughs> right. And <laughs> mm -hmm. Homework and fun. <laughs> and homework and fun. And so I think it makes a difference in terms of the mode of instruction. You know, in other words, how things are taught. Because mm -hmm. even online, if you have folks that are just lecturing and they're not really giving, they're not doing anything interactive with students, which is also very hard to do online, but possible. Yeah. What you find is that the students tune out. Yeah. Don't be on camera. <laughs> <laughs> I heard there was some kids camera be on, they in the bed knocked out like what? Mm-hmm. He's got the camera on. <laughs> yeah. Heck no. And there were some school systems that actually um were telling their teachers not to um you know penalize students who, whose cameras were off 
because of their home conditions. Oh, yeah. You know, so you had some students that were learning at the kitchen table. You had other family that were around. Um, so it just kind of depended on the home environment that a student had, mm -hmm. uh, whether or not they were in tune with online learning in some respects. Yeah, some parents knew it was complaining. I got to teach them, like, well, you're going to respect teachers now. <laughs> yeah, you know, or you had you had a bunch of, you know, foolishness going on. So if you have a child who, you know, say they got a two-bedroom apartment, that's their room, but they, you know, they share their room with three other kids. Yeah. It's hard to learn in that type of space, mm -hmm. you know, but then you move your laptop to the kitchen. And you try, but then, you know, they cooking breakfast, you know, your siblings are fighting, you got a dog, you know, in other words. Everything going on. Everything going on. So I could see where it would be difficult for a student to learn under those circumstances to a certain extent. Yeah, I would agree. It's waiting for a teacher to teach well. Yeah, they, they're superheroes. Big time. I seen a lot of people. I I, I want to apologize. Teacher, like, oh, your bad kid that you wouldn't discipline, and you sent out to that teacher who can't discipline. And you, my kid ain't bad. You live with him. Stop it. You know what you allowing them to do. Now you got to have them do their math. And what they do in school, they doing with you. You're like, oh my god, I didn't realize. Like, yeah, that's your child. <laughs> well, that's true. You know, and and I guess you know on the other side of it, you know, I've been in spaces where. You know, there are some parents that believe that um, it's the school's job to educate their children. And they have totally given mm -hmm. up responsibility for educating their children to the school systems. And then they wonder why their children aren't as um, successful because they're not reinforcing what the school's teaching in the home. Yeah. Some people don't have your kid best interest at heart. Right. And so really the the, the, the first um, unit of education in a child's life is the home. Mm -hmm. And it always it always remains that way. I think, you know, in many cases where parents were so caught up in work and other things. And like I said, they kind of like gave over or turned over responsibility for their children's education to the school system. Then um, they essentially shortchanged their children, in, in my opinion. Yeah, you don't have no big mamas no more. If no one else, you're going to get that work. Sit down. Right. You're going to know how to write your name, your letters, everything. You might be, I can't stand so-and-so, but when you get your diploma, like, dang, they really help me. Yeah, so when you, when you talk about kids that are behind in, say, reading, particularly reading, because, mm -hmm. um, you know, you can read just about anywhere. True. But, you know, you, you, a lot of kids come into school now, they're behind in like third, fourth grade, they're behind sixth grade, they're behind eighth grade. That means they're watching a lot of television. Yeah. And they're not reading anything. Um, and so that's a parent's responsibility. And the few hours that a child spends in school is not going to make up that, that gap. No. And, and summers make it even worse, right? Because then you're outside playing and you're doing other stuff. Mm -hmm. but, very little educational stuff and then they go back to school and the teachers are kind of like going through last spring's work just to catch you up for the first few weeks yeah i'm, I'm from the generation where they would pretty much say oh you're a young black male uh, about 17 you would be a teenage parent in and out of jail by 21 you'll be dead like that ain't my life i'm somebody what you talking about they used to always, it's funny how the world was in the 80s, early 90s then, you always heard that everywhere. Mm -hmm. They might still do it, but a different way now, but you always heard like, man, I turned 21, I got to get a bottle of champagne because your neighborhoods were rough, gangs and drugs were big in some urban areas, so you had to go to war zone just to go to school. Right. And it's like people died for you to get the opportunity to learn, and now... You have this opportunity and you have better tech and like what you mean you can't read or write dude i gonna count your money <laughs> how you gonna take your girl out but you basic stuff to talk to a dude like you want to take your girl out one day yeah 
you 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 can't pay for the movie because you can't count how much it costs. You can't read what time it starts. Like, dude, come on, basic. You gotta know your stuff, man. Come on. And I don't know about now, but it was stories before about Detroit how the reading level was low. I don't know if they still make math requirement like it was when I went to school. And those are big things because you do use it every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but, but I'm, I'm, line. The other element of it, in some respects, is what I refer to as as, as a parent a parenting philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one of, and this is somewhat controversial, but I'll put it on the line anyway. Is that as parents, sometimes if we're not careful, we end up raising our children to reflect our past versus looking forward and raising our children in ways that will benefit their future. I see that. Because the times have, you know, the times change in between the time we were children and then in between the time that our children are going to be grown. Mm-hmm. And if we're raising our children based on our past, you know, it worked for me, look how I turned out. Then what you end up happening is what ends up happening is you shortchange their futures because you're not looking forward to seeing the types of skills that they need, the types of experiences they need to be successful going forward. You're always thinking about what happened to you back then. But technology changes, people change and economics change. And if we're not preparing our students for or our young people for those changes going forward, but we're always looking back, then we say, oh, well, you don't need to know how to do that. That camp is too expensive. But I'm going to get you them Jordans, though. I'm going to get you them Jordans. I'm, I'm going to get you them Stephs. You know, yeah. I can't pay 250 for engineering camp, even though you're talented in math. I ain't going to pay for that. But, oh, you want them Jordans? I'm with you. So yeah. you got more on your feet than you got on in your head. Yeah. Child, you know, begins to um yeah. yeah, they begin to value the appearance of wealth versus valuing the generation of wealth. Yes, because you need to be you need to be a chameleon. Mm-hmm. Or I used to watch that pretender TV show where that kid could mimic anyone. With the way how rapid technology changes, your child should be able to move like water with whatever's going on so they can still get ahead to wherever their purpose is. Oh, for sure. And one of, the, one of the great things about the new technology is that the young people do pick it up much faster. Oh, yeah. You know, and I think that's that's a wonderful thing. And the thing that I share with my son very often is I, say, I said, okay, son, you may have more technical knowledge, mm-hmm. more technical information, um, etc. But what you have, what you gain in technological know-how, you lack in wisdom. And so we need to get the wisdom <laughs> in line with your technological know-how. Yeah, and you know. That, takes, that takes time. So, you know, because he's very talented in science and engineering, right? Mm-hmm. So my, and he's a um, robotics major at the University of Michigan right now. But my thing coming up with him was like, I understand that you, you know, that um, computer screen is, you spend a lot of time there, mm-hmm. but you also don't cut this grass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. You're going to come in the garage, you're going to help me do um, this physical, this manual, this dirty, this other stuff. Yeah. Need in both. addition to. You know, the book learning and the computer and all of that, which is fine. I ain't got no problem with it. But that, that can't be your whole world. Yeah, you got to be balanced. Cause mm-hmm. Power went out tomorrow. What you going to do? Yep. <laughs> but like, I just go to Kroger. I'll be like, look at here. You see that ground out there? That's Kroger. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You can plant that. And I told him, I said, look, son, you got you, you got three seasons. So you should never be broke. Summertime, cut grass. 
wintertime, you can clear snow. In the fall, you can rake leaves. You ain't never got no reason to be broke. You're right. You don't see kids doing that no more, really. You're right. <laughs> and people will pay you to do it. <laughs> they don't want to do it. They perfected the art of the hustle, though. So they like, why should I hustle when all I got to do is ask you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I come to old school like, nah, you're going to get them hands a little dirty, get out there and get that work. Mm -hmm. You want some money? You got, you got neighbors. You know them. They, <laughs> they might want some stuff thrown out. Five, ten dollars. There you go. You got money to go to the store. Oh, yeah. You, you will go ask. Like, you know what? I do got clear out my garage. I get 20 bucks. Okay. Mm -hmm. like, you rich. Back back when candy and stuff was cheap. <laughs> right. You could buy some chips and juice at the candy bar. So you'd ball if you had $20. <laughs> oh, you was balling when you had $20. You go get you some now latest. Man. <laughs> get all the good stuff. <laughs> Last question. What okay. advice do you have for someone trying to find their purpose? I think in finding one's purpose, for me, it comes down to how can I help the next person reach the next level, right? No matter where they may find themselves. And so in finding their purpose, I think it's important to, you know, of course, pray on it and to have an understanding from, from the Lord in terms of who you are, mm -hmm. which is a lifelong quest because it changes through the decades. You know, it never, um, right. it may change form through the decades, but it never goes away. And then reflecting on the things that you like to do, that you're very good at, because many of us have natural gifts, right? Mm -hmm. Some people have gifts of administration, some people have gifts of management, some people have gifts of technical know-how. In other words, they know how to fix things. Mm -hmm. um, and to begin to think about how they can turn those gifts into money so that they can you know raise their families they can take care of themselves be self-sufficient because i think we've, we we all have gifts and there are some people who work in one field but their gift and their passion their calling is somewhere else true you know um but they're not very happy people yeah <laughs> you know so if, if you could find that that match between your purpose your passion your gifts and your money and bring those things together in many ways to me that's how you find your purpose you know um in ways that where you where you'll be happy with what you're doing you'll feel you'll be fulfilled in what you're doing and you're not just doing a job just to say you have a job but that everything that you do in terms of your work life has a purpose and meaning and you know that you're helping somebody along the way. Even if you're just building mousetraps for a living, right? You know you're helping somebody's house be cleaner <laughs> in some respects. So I think that's, what, that's how I would answer that question. You have to be able to monetize the things that you love doing. I know some people love video games, right? My son was saying that coming up. I was like, okay, son, I hear you. But um, how are you going to eat? <laughs> so you know in some ways you have to begin to think about the practical mm -hmm. and uh you know and, and your purpose and passion and bring those two together and and you're unstoppable in my opinion that's awesome i mean i used to get this this knowledge five days a week and i to clean your department <laughs> <laughs> So I know this is gonna help somebody figure it out when they who are watching or they watch the replay of it. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. I remember a lot of them days leave out your apartment like, wow, learn something new I ain't think about. And they helped me along the way for real. Yeah, and, and and I think that's that's one of the gifts that God has given me is the ability to, I guess in some ways, take very complex ideas and to simplify them. Yeah. so that people can apply them in, in, in ways that matter. 
and they bring meaning and value into their lives. That's one of the gifts that, that I have, and I'm thankful for that gift. Yeah, I can definitely see a nonprofit making a difference and help change the world a little bit. I, I definitely want to thank former Wayne State alum and mentor, Dr. Henry L. Robinson, PhD, former Vice President of Student Affairs at Adam State University. Soon to do a lot of amazing things. It's been awesome catching up with you, sir. I learned some more new stuff from you. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be on the show, man. And, and I'm glad that you're still out here making it happen for people. Oh, yeah, I'm trying. <laughs> Just let it go, but, you know, God put you on fast. You got you to gotta, you gotta do what you're supposed to do. That's right. That's right. And, and you are performing a valuable service, man. You know, people look at your, your podcast and they say, okay, you know, this, this buzz about sharing positive information and for ways for, to show people how to uplift themselves and, and uplift others. So I'm thankful, man, for what you've done. I appreciate that coming from you, for real. I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. It's been another great show. Until the next time, hope everybody have a great weekend. Good night. Bye. Bye.